Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Luke, chapter 5. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. We have been talking and learning about Jesus, of course. And we, last week we talked about Jesus who returned from the wilderness temptation and he returned in the power of the Spirit. The thing that I want to bring to your attention is that everything that Jesus did, he did in the power of the Spirit. We know that he was born of the Spirit. We know that the Spirit of God came upon him when he was baptized. We know from Hebrews, the Bible tells us, are you listening? The Bible tells us that he was offered to God through the Spirit. That's interesting. He was offered to God through the Spirit. John chapter 5 verse 30 tells us, I can't do anything. Jesus said that. I can't do anything without the Spirit. Now guess what? If Jesus needed the Spirit in order to live, what about you? We can't do anything without the Spirit. Uh, somebody say amen. 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 Thank you, two people. And uh, this is the truth. Yeah, I've been walking with God for 25 years. And I've been honest with you, I've tried to do a whole lot of stuff without the Spirit. I'm just trying to keep it real, my peeps. I've tried to do a lot of things without the Spirit. And I've come to learn that we can do nothing without the Spirit. We learned that from Jesus. Everything that he did, everything in his life was Spirit-filled. So after, last week we talked about it, after Jesus returned from the wilderness in the Spirit, he goes into the synagogue and he preaches, and people are astonished. They are amazed. They are dumbfounded, bewildered at his teaching. Why? Because the Bible tells us, go ahead and peek at chapter 4, verse 32. The Bible tells us that Jesus taught with authority. You see, the other rabbis, they would always quote other rabbis when they taught. But Jesus spoke with authority. Well, it's all in a day's work. Because while Jesus is teaching, a demon-possessed man comes in and says, let us alone, Jesus. We know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Go ahead and look at chapter 4 in verse 41. It tells us that the demon said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Here's a side note, people. Listen, give me your attention. There are people today who say that Jesus was not God, and they deny the deity of Christ. Listen, even a first century demon recognized the fact that Jesus was God. Can you say a better amen than that? A first century demon, we know that you 
our God, well, Jesus casts out the demons and everybody's amazed. And then Peter sees this and he thinks, you know, I think I'll be nice to my mother-in-law. He tells Jesus, he says, Jesus, my mother-in-law is sick with a fever. Would you mind coming over to heal her? Jesus walks in. We talked about this last week. He took her by the hand and immediately the fever left her. Jesus departed to a deserted place and then found himself preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Now, preacher, teacher, minister, if you want to learn how to teach and how to preach, I would recommend that you learn from the best. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's not what I'm saying. You, look, you should learn from the best. I will tell you that Jesus is the best preacher. Jesus is the best teacher. And Jesus had a way. This is what I love about, this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus had a way of teaching and reaching people right where they were. I love that about him. Jesus loved to teach and preach using idioms, I-D-O-M-S, idioms. And that's just kind of a big word for cultural situations. You know, there's grapes all over Israel, and Jesus uses the grapes to teach the disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me, you'll bear forth fruit. That's an idiom. That's like a cultural situation, illustration. Jesus loved to preach using idioms. And Jesus loved to preach using metaphors. And he loved to reach people right where they were. Don't you remember Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night? Should I do it? Nick at night. There you go. Nick at night. I can't help it. It's a, it's a Calvary Chapel Apex thing. Nick at night. So Nick came to Jesus at night and Jesus said to Nick, Nick, you must be born again talking about reaching people right where they were. The woman who came to draw water from the well and Jesus, he told her, he said, I'm the living water. And don't you remember the blind man? Jesus talked to him about being the light of the world and Mary and Martha after the death of Lazarus, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life in this morning or this afternoon, I should say, he will say to four fishermen, he, say, he would say to them, you used to catch fish, and now you're going to catch men. My sermon title, Man Fishing. Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 1. We pick up our study, Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. If you're looking at it, say amen. amen. And so it was. As the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by Lake Gennesaret. And saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them. And what were they doing? They were washing their nets. Well, then Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out off the land, push out a little bit. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. 
So they signaled to their parents, or partners, pardon me, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats. So they began to sink. And when Simon saw it, circle it, circle it. When Simon saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will do what, saints? Catch men. So when they had bought their boats to land, they forsook all and they followed Jesus. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. If you're an outdoorsy person, I'm not really an outdoorsy person. I'm not like into the mountains and the valleys and the lakes and the rivers and deer. But if you are an outdoorsy person, you're in good company because Jesus was an outdoorsy person. Jesus liked to hang out outdoors in the region of the Galilee. I told you in previous sermons that the Galilee is a region. It is a territory. Uh, It's not a city. Uh, In the Galilee, there is a lake. They call it Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. Here, Dr. Luke, in his pinpoint accuracy, he calls it Lake Gennesaret. You will also find in the scriptures and the gospels, it's known as Lake Chenaroth. You will also find it known as Lake Chenareth. Chenareth means harp, H-A-R-P, shaped. Because when you look at the Sea of Galilee on a map, it looks like the shape of a Jewish lyre or a harp. So all of these are the same locations. Jesus loved to be in this area. He preached the Sermon on the Mount in this area. He preached the Bread of Life discourse in a synagogue in this area. Did you know that 25 out of 35 of the miracles that Jesus did were done in the region of the Galilee? So lots happened in the region, in this area of the Galilee. If you go there today, it's not very much populated. Um, I've been to Israel. Can I raise your hand if you've been to Israel? Anybody here been to Israel? Good. That's a couple of two of you. That's great. And myself makes three. Then you know that uh, this area today, you know, is not very much populated. Um, the city of Tiberias is a thriving, functioning city. And if I'm accurate, I think it is the only thriving, functioning city around this area of the Galilee. I took my wife a couple of years ago, Elvira and I went to uh, Israel on a trip. We took the church. I think 15 of us went from here at Calvary Chapel. And um, I remember we got there. We spent five days in the Galilee. And we checked into what is known as a kibbutz. A kibbutz is like a hotel, but not. And so we checked into a kibbutz. It was called Nafgenesar, kibbutz. So we walk into the room, and our room 
is uh, when you walk in, there's a window right in front of you. I walked over straight to the window, opened. It was in the evening. And when I looked out the window, I saw a, a city on a hill. And I said to my wife, I said, honey, come here. I said, come here. Look at this. Look at this. And, and I said, look at that. I said, remember Jesus said, you are the light of the world and a city on a hill cannot be hidden? And she goes, yeah, I yeah, Jesus said that. Look at that. And it was just a, an amazing moment and a picture lesson there. Lots happened in this area, in the life of Jesus, in this area of the Galilee. Now look at verse 2 in your Bibles. You've got to get the scene. Some scholars say that there could have been as many as 20,000 people following Jesus everywhere he goes. So Jesus saw two boats, and the fishermen were washing their nets. And Jesus gets into one of the boats and probably pushes off 20 to 30 feet offshore, and people are standing there in the water listening. And the way the Galilee is shaped in this part, it's actually he's in, in the area of Capernaum, that part of the Galilee. And, and the way that it's shaped, is actually shaped like a natural amphitheater. You see, that's why I think that, that's why I think going to Israel, listen, look, look, listen. That's why going to Israel and taking a trip to Israel is so key, I think, and vital for every believer. You know, we plan our vacations and folks want to go to, where do, where do folks go for vacation? I don't even vacation. They go to Odessa, Hawaii, Disney, Trinidad. People go, no. Um, um, Wally World. I don't know where people, people go. Places, I don't know. But can I encourage you, maybe one of these years say, you know, we're not going to go like to one of those beach resort places. We're going to save our money and we're going to go to Israel. Because when you go to Israel, what happens is once you take one trip to Israel, your understanding of the Bible just soars. It's like one trip to Israel, somebody wants, whoever these people are, did a study and said one trip to Israel is, a, is like two years of Bible college. Because you're able to see things and you read in the Bible. I'm reading about Lake Gennesaret and I know because I was there. I know because on the Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesaret, Chedaroth, same thing. I remember when we would get on a boat and we would go out to the middle of the lake. It's beautiful. And we would get on a boat and go out to the middle of the lake, turn the boat off, and have worship and a Bible study right out on the Galilee. It's just awesome. And then, and then, you can, then we'd turn the boat back on and go across to the other side because there's this restaurant called Peter's Fish House. It's there now. I mean, this is, you know, capitalism. Somebody thought of this and they're making a billion bucks. I mean, I should have thought of it. But, uh, but every, and everybody goes there, the Peter's Fish House. And you have fish and you have uh, fritters, corn fritters. And you have, you know, stuff like that. And uh, it's just a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to take a trip, just one trip, to go to Israel. So in this part where Jesus is right now is in the part of Capernaum. And it's kind of a natural amphitheater. So people can really hear him. And probably he had a supernatural lapel mic on. So all these 20,000 people, they probably could hear him. Well, notice in verse 3 in your Bibles, the fishermen were washing their nets. Did you notice this? And Jesus got into the boat. I love this statement. Underline it. Highlight it in your Bibles. Jesus got into the boat. You know, people have asked me often, they've said, Pastor, what is the key to a successful ministry? And I tell them, listen, a successful ministry 
is a ministry where Jesus is in the boat. It has nothing to do with people. I, honestly, seriously, I kid you not, I've done radio interviews, newspaper, magazine interviews, because we have a very multicultural church. I mean, look to the left, look to the right. There's probably somebody black and somebody white sitting next to you or someone Indian or someone Asian sitting next to you. People are, you know, what's the success to the ministry? I mean, how do you get all of these different people? I mean, I remember when we had probably eight, nine hundred people in our church and my wife, we was probably my family and maybe one other black family in a predominantly at that point, all white churches. That's when the newspapers and stuff showed up, y'all. They were like, we can't, we can't believe this is happening in the South. You got a black senior pastor and all of these white folks. I mean, I'm serious. I'm not kidding, I'm not kidding you. And they asked me, they said, well, what is the key to your success? I mean, how is it that you have all of these people, they said. I said, oh, you mean all the white people? <laughs> Faye, you know how I am. It's just going to keep it real. And I said, I said, I tell you what. I said, Jesus is doing the work. Pastor Rodney shows up and teaches the Bible, and that's it. I'm not into advertising. I'm not against it, but I'm not into that. I'm into teaching the Word of God, and I believe that if you are fed the Word of God and you get excited and fervent about the things of God, I don't have to go out and beat the bushes to bring people in the church. You will go out and bring people to church. I know people that attend this church that have a van that go fill it up to bring people to church on Sunday morning. So you teach, I'm going to wait, that's okay. So the key to successful ministry is Jesus needs to be in the boat. Psalm 127 tells us, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And unless Jesus comes on board your boat, you're paddling upstream with no oars. You don't have to struggle. You don't have to strive. Jesus just needs to be in the boat. Notice in verse 4, Jesus had finished teaching. Are you looking at verse 4? Jesus had finished teaching and basically says, church is over, let's go fishing. And he told Peter, go out into the deep part and let down your nets. Now before we go any further, listen close and don't miss this. You have to understand this. This meeting here, are you listening? This meeting here in Luke chapter 5 is not the first time that Jesus met these guys. Jesus first met them in John chapter 1. You read that in your own time. But Jesus met them the day after his baptism. As John was with his two disciples and Jesus walked up and John said, Behold the Lamb of God. And they began to follow Jesus. And one of the two that heard John speak was Andrew, Peter's brother. And it was Andrew who went and found Peter, and he said, we have found the Messiah. Don't you remember? Jesus looked at Peter and said, you are Simon, which his name means sinking sand. I'm going to change your name to Cephas or Peter, which means a rock. So my point is this. Jesus didn't just meet them and say, drop your nets and follow me. Because when Jesus told them to drop their nets, are y'all listening? When Jesus told them to drop their nets, he was telling them to give up your occupation. They were fishermen. That's how they provided for their 
their wife, their children, their families. They paid the bills fishing. So Jesus didn't just show up and say, hey, I'm Jesus, I'm the Messiah, drop your nets, come follow me. It's been a whole year now here in Luke chapter 5, and Jesus says, drop your nets, I'm going to make you fishers of men. So here we are a year later, Jesus says, go deep, drop your nets. And I'm sure, get this, saints, I'm sure when Jesus said that, when he said, I want you to drop your nets, keep in mind, it was in the morning. The sun had already come up. When Jesus said, drop your nets and go fishing, I'm sure that there were, what I wouldn't have given to have a DVD of this scene. When Jesus said that, they probably, there was like an awkward silence. They probably looked at him and said, what is wrong with you? I know you're the Messiah, but what is wrong with you? Because every fisherman knew that the worst time to fish was in the morning because the morning sunlight was on the water and that scared the fish away. So if you're going to fish, you want to do it at night or before the sun comes up. Look at verse five. Peter said, Jesus, we have been fishing all night and haven't caught one fish. Nevertheless, at your word or because you ask, we'll do it. Now look at verse five. I think this is hilarious. Jesus says, master, master. In other words, he understands who Jesus is. Master, prophet, healer, teacher, provider, God of wonders beyond all majesty. The God who created the fish, he created these fish. Peter understands who he is. He says, we've been fishing all night and we haven't caught anything. Nevertheless, I'll humor you. I will humor you and drop the net. It's almost like Peter is saying, Jesus, listen, why don't you stick to the casting out the demons and the healing and the preaching stuff? Because the fishing, that's, that's our stuff. That's what we do. You preach, we fish. You preach, we fish. And notice two things here. I want you to, I want you to get this because you cannot miss this. And most people do. Two things we need to see. First of all, you need to write this down. When God asks you to do something that you don't understand, do it. Do it. Don't put God in the box. God asks you to do something, do it. Not only do it, but watch this. Do it fully and completely. What we want to notice, the second point here that we want to notice is that Jesus said, let down your nets. Look at verse four, please. This is a detail that you would miss if we don't point it out. Jesus said, let down your, what saints? Nets. You see that S? For a catch. Peter said in verse five, I will let down the, what? Net. Jesus said, let down your nets with an S. Peter says, I will let down the net. Actually, listen, Peter was obedient to the Lord, but Peter was partially obedient to the Lord. Peter didn't do everything the Lord told him to do. You know, it reminds me of a story. It's in 2 Kings. This is a great story. In 2 Kings chapter 13, you read this in your own time. 
But in 2 Kings chapter 13, it tells us a classic example of the cost of partial obedience. The scene is a battle between King Joash and the Syrians who were attacking Israel. And Joash was asking the Lord what to do, so God sent Elisha. And Elisha told Joash to take some arrows and to strike the ground. So Joash, listen, are you listening? Joash took three arrows and he struck the ground and then he stopped. Elisha got angry because the shooting of the three arrows signified that Joash wasn't fervent. He was half-hearted. And there was a partial obedience and a a half-heartedness about his deliverance. Because if he were full-hearted, he would have taken every arrow and shot them. And this is kind of like what Peter did. Jesus said, let out your nets, and Peter let out the net. Partial obedience. I am amazed at how many Christians are partially obedient to the Lord, Madeline. I am amazed at how many Christians are half-hearted. What is wrong with us? Half-hearted about the things of God. Half-hearted about the kingdom of God. Lukewarm and tepid about what God wants to do in your life. When Romans chapter 12 verse 11 tells us that we are to be fervent in the spirit. Fervent in the spirit. Not half-hearted in the spirit. Are you listening? Fervent in the spirit. We're so half-hearted about the call of God on our lives. Half-hearted about your deliverance. Half-hearted about, half-hearted about worship. Half-hearted in prayer. The Bible tells us the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, what saints, avails much. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.